Philippians chapter 4. I love Wednesday night perhaps as much or more than I love the weekend because it's a time for us to gear down a little bit and take a good hard look into the Word of God. Not a lot of emotion, not a lot of jumping and shouting, but I pray that something would be said tonight that would speak to you. Philippians 4, verse number 8. Paul writing to this beleaguered church in Philippi. Finally, brethren. Everybody say, finally. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever. That's a big world right there. Whatsoever. Now that word alone tells me that God doesn't have to spell it out word for word for you to know there's some things you ought not to do or some things that you should do. If it fits within the category of things he's about to name, Whatsoever things, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any praise, and if there be or any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, you do it. And the God of peace shall be with you. What a great promise. What a great word. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight. It still matters. Say it with me. It still matters. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Sometimes we are of the opinion that the church world of our day and the world as a whole is so different than biblical times. But that is not the case at all. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, as you are probably aware, he wrote it from a prison cell. And he wrote it to this group of believers that was in a culture that was vile and vulgar and filthy and immoral. Rome under Nero, if you do a little research or read a little of history, you will find out that Rome under Nero 
was not given to much truth. It did not give much care to morality. It didn't give a lot of credence to reverence or respect. And that was the culture that these Philippian believers found themselves in. There were practices that went on in that community that would make even us blush today, as hard as that is to imagine. As corrupt and vile as our world is, we do not have that I'm aware of that are everywhere, maybe somewhere, but not everywhere, Churches or so-called churches or houses of worship where prostitutes actually work their trade on the doorsteps of the church because that was admissible. Now, we got a lot of moral problems, but so far we haven't sunk that low. And it was connected to worship. How perverted could you get? How warped could it be? But... Paul writes to a church that lived in a culture like ours where truth and morality and respect and purity did not carry a lot of weight. It didn't have any significance in the everyday bearing of a person's life. And so as Paul is writing to these Christians and trying to encourage them, and and if you read the book of Philippians, and I love to read it because I find an imprisoned preacher encouraging these people that are on the outside, that are going through spiritually what he is going through on the inside of a prison, he's encouraging them to rejoice evermore and to lift up their voice and worship and pray and do all those things that were necessary and needed. He's encouraging them. And so he comes to the end of his letter. And in the closing moments, his closing time, he makes a statement that resounds in my mind tonight. And that is finally, finally, finally. Paul writes to a church that needed to hear the words that he was about to say. If there was ever a time they needed a a, a reassurance and an undergirding of things in their life, it was now. And so before he closes his letter, he said, and by the way, I have Something else that I need to tell you. Finally, brethren. And so he begins to enumerate things that were vitally important. The thing about Paul's writings is that the practices that were so antithesis to Christianity that went on there were not the only thing that Paul was dealing with. There are a lot of people in our world that are not immoral. They don't drink or curse or cheat or do all those things, but they don't believe in God either. There are a lot of people that do right, not because the the motivation is right, but they do right so they don't get caught. 
so they don't have to suffer the consequences. And so Paul said, in essence, I want to talk to you about a culture whose practices are at odds with God and even their motivation for life is at odds with what God wants for your life. You should not do right because you fear the consequences of not doing right. You should do right because you want to please God. So the motivation of life has to be right. We live in a world that is growing more and more vile and corrupt every day. And you're aware of that. You know that. We need to be reminded of what should govern and motivate our lives in such hours. Because there are principles that are pertinent to the day in which we live. And they are pertinent to a day when so much filth is flaunting itself before our very eyes. I want to say with the Apostle Paul, these things still matter. These things still matter. And so Paul calls these believers to a noble vision that was needed for life. Paul was not looking for a retreat from an evil world, but he was looking for sanity in an evil world. And so he said, finally, one translation of that word finally means what remains to be said or what has to be said or what needs to be said or what still matters, no matter what the culture is telling you. No matter what your environment that you live in is saying, Paul said to these Philippian believers, here are some things that still matter. They matter to God and they should matter to you. And if you will make them the focus of your life, they will make your life better. They will bring peace into your life. They will bring the peace of God into your life. Amen. Finally, everybody say it with me, finally. This still needs to be said. What I'm about to say to you will never go out of style. It's never outdated. It was not for some, some, some society that lived in 100 A.D., but it works in 2014 A.D. And it'll work if God tarries in 2020 A.D that there are some things that do not go out of style and they do not change. And when you let them govern your life, they will make your life better. As a matter of fact, they're the only thing that you can do that will help you keep your sanity in an insane world. And I think all of you would admit we live in a crazy, crazy world. One commentator, I love this, one commentator said that this is a paragraph of mental health. These two verses are a paragraph of mental health. If you want to know what a healthy mind looks like, that's what it looks like. If you want to know what healthy thought processes look like, 
There they are. If you want to know what will help you live a healthy life, think like this. Think in these terms. Think in these realms. When I When I consider this verse, I am reminded of the power of the human thought. And I am reminded of how that affects our life. Think about it. Your thoughts cannot be weighed. They cannot be seen. They cannot be measured. And yet there is nothing in your life right now that affects your life more than your thoughts do. They can't be seen. They can't be weighed. They can't be measured. Yet they do more to affect my life than anything else in my life. Everybody say my thoughts. They determine whether I am succeeding or failing. Whether I'm going forward or going backward. Whether you live in peace or in conflict. Whether you live in joy or sorrow. They determine the atmosphere in which you live. The most powerful tool in your life is your mind. Everybody say your mind. Sow a thought. Reap an action. Sow an action. Reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Destiny is determined by my thought. That's where it begins, right up here. What governs what goes on between the ears, that gray matter that for too many people is not used adequately. And it's not used often enough. The human mind is a marvel of creation. It is the key to life. It is the key to overcoming. It is the key to rising back up even when you have failed. It is the key to serving God. Think about that. Your mind is the key to all of those things. The great writer in Proverbs says that as... He thinketh where? In his heart. Or as that word in our term would be in his mind. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. When the prodigal was in the pig pen, and he had gone down as low as a human could go. I mean, you can't get much lower than him wanting to feed himself off of the the filth of the pig's food, rotten, decaying food. The Bible says that he came to himself. Everybody say he came to himself. In the Greek, that says he came back to a right way of thinking. That's what the Greek says. His thought processes prior to that had gotten so messed up and so warped and so perverted that he actually thought that what he was doing was okay and what he was doing was right. 
And all of a sudden he had an epiphany. He had a spiritual awakening. He had a moment in his life when everything came clear again. And he came back to a right way of thinking. And when that happened, what happened next? He said, there are servants in my father's house that are doing better than I am. I will arise and go back to my father's house. And it all started up here. It all started right here. Restoration starts right here. Renewal starts right here. I don't care how many bad decisions you've made. You can turn things around if you can turn it around up here. And you have the power to do that. Your, your thoughts do not control you. I want to destroy a myth tonight. Your thoughts do not control you. Somebody said, or he was, I can't help it. They just come. You can help it. This is the part you can help. You can't keep a thought from coming, but you can sure keep your mind from settling on it. And the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, set your affections or set your heart or set your mind on things above. The statement makes it clear that I have the power to do that. So if I have the power to set my affections, then I control my thoughts. My thoughts do not control me. My pastor you you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. Say, I can. I can. I can stop this. I can change this. As he thinketh, so is he. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 22 or 23, he said that with the mind... We serve the Lord with the mind. Before it ever becomes an action, it first has to be a thought. It has to be something going on. The human mind is therefore the battleground of the soul. And that's why the devil fights you and he fights me in the realm of my mind more than any other place in my life. That's why he fights your mind because that's where the victory is either won or lost. That's where you make it or you fail. That's where you overcome or you are overcome in your mind. You see, the devil doesn't have to tie up your body if he can tie up your mind. How does he do that? Worry, stress, Doubt, fear, anger, bitterness, resentment. He didn't have to tie you up, put you in a corner. All he has to do is start working on your mind. Working on what goes on between your ears. And if he can get you in your mind, if he can get you to going down certain roads, or he can get you to think that certain things don't matter anymore, then he can get you where you are most vulnerable. You don't have to get your body out of something. If you can get your mind out of it, your body will follow your mind. Amen.
the area of thoughts, the greatest battlefield of life. I, I like what one writer said. I don't even know who, who it was. I just came across this the other day in reference to Proverbs 23 and 7 where it says, As a man thinketh, so is he. It says, We are not what we think we are, what we think we are. That's a mind twister right there. You want me to say it again? We are not what we think we are, what we think we are. When Paul exhorted them to think on these things, he gave us a key to life. Paul gives us the ingredients of a power-filled life. He, He did not mean, listen to me, when he said think on these things... He did not mean keep that in mind. He didn't mean, just so you won't forget, think about this every once in a while. The Greek indicates that you are to fill your mind with this. Everybody say fill. Fill, fill, fill. That means there's no room for anything else. Fill your mind with that. When you fill your mind with that, there's no room for anything else. When you fill a bottle full of water, there's no room for anything else. And so he talks about being filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we don't have room for bitterness. We don't have room for hate. When we fill our mind with these things, when we let our mind be continually saturated with these things that still matter, then it makes a difference in our life. In essence, he is saying, You will do best when you fill your mind with these things. You cannot, listen to me. I love this. The Lord gave me this and it's not anything special, but he just excites me. You cannot become a lover of, of the best things while entertaining yourself and fellowshipping with the low things. How many of you have ever been to Galveston Beach? How many have you ever been to Destin, Florida Beach? How many have ever been to Hawaii? Now, I want to ask you something. If the only reference you had in life was Galveston. Now, listen. Now, you're shaking your head because you, that's not your only reference. But let's, let's, let's get all that out of our mind. If that's the only reference that you had was Galveston, you would think, that's an awesome beach. But when you take yourself to a Destin, Florida, where the sand is so white it looks like sugar, and it's so fine you could, you could pass it off as sugar. Or you go to Hawaii where... The, 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 the volcanic rock has been pounded and crushed so often by the waves that it, it gives a unique clearness to the water. All of a sudden, you have a new point of reference to what, what's good. How many of you remember Mellorine? Anybody remember, any, ever hear of Mellorine? That's, that was poor folks' ice cream. I grew up, it was in a rectangular carton, Mellorine. We couldn't afford ice cream. 
It was too expensive. But my mother would buy Mellorine. And so I'd grow up eating Neapolitan Mellorine thinking, man, that's good. Until I found somebody called or something called Bluebell, homemade vanilla, butter crunch, oh my goodness, chocolate-covered cherry, cordial, and suddenly I've got a new reference point. Now I found something better than that. It's called red mango, frozen yogurt. Awesome place. Just tell them I sent you. I'm part owner of that place, I think. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is that until you have a point of reference, you think this is pretty good. But once you get that point of reference and you're exposed, I mean, You go to a Paris or you go to a New York and it makes podunk look a whole lot different. The point is that the taste for better things is developed how? By exposing it to better things. You have to go, you have to get that bluebell out and compare it to melarine. And I promise you, I can't even remember how to describe what melarine tastes like. It is so far removed in my mind. I've tried to wipe that memory out because I don't, I don't want that to be a reference point to what good ice cream is. It was fake. It was a sham. And when I go to Galveston and I look at the beach and people, oh, this is so fantastic. Well, if that's the only reference point you have, it might be. But I can tell you there's a place on the Florida coast that will make you turn your nose. The point is that you have, to, you have to develop that taste for better things by exposing yourself to better things. How many of you ever thought that Taco Bell was the best Mexican food that you could get. I mean, I grew up thinking that it wasn't Taco Bell. What was it back then? Tacos. What, taco. What, what, what was down there by the house, Charles? Taco something. You don't even want to go there. All that hair gone. That's not all that's gone. <laughs> Memories leaving us as well. <laughs> been down the road too many times. What I'm saying is that Taco Bell, if that's all that you know about eating, is that's okay. But now when you go to a Lupe Tortillas and you order their fajitas, folks, you have just begun to live. Amen. So what Paul's trying to do And I'm being a little facetious perhaps, but what Paul was trying to do is to develop a taste in these people for 
the better things, the best things, the things that will get you where you really want to go, the things that will make a difference in your life. And he names them. And in essence, he is saying, I want to tell you now and I want to tell you forever. I want to tell Greater Life Church in 2014 that these things still matter. Number one, truth. Listen to me. I don't care what the culture that we live in says, truth still matters. It doesn't just matter to God, it ought to matter to me. I know people, I don't understand it to save my life, but I know people that would rather lie than tell the truth when telling the truth would be easier. It's because we live in a culture that has traded on falsehood and lies and innuendos and they've messed with truth and they've, they, they've toyed with certain principles and and said, well, you know, uh, it's in the eye of the beholder. It, it just depends on how you look at it. And so they've taken something that was meant to be a reference point in our life that we could use as a reference to how good we are doing or how close we are to the things that God wants us to have. And they have taken it and they have soiled it to where we don't even know what truth is. When the Old Testament prophet said in Isaiah that truth has fallen in the street, that's the day in which we live. We have politicians that when their lips move, they're lying. That's just all the way. We have people around the church sometimes that when their lips move, they're lying. God forbid. I don't, we don't have any like that around Greater Life Church, so don't start looking, trying to figure out who's he talking about. I'm, not, I'm just saying that we live in a culture where truth means nothing anymore. And this is speaking, when he said embrace truth, he was speaking of more than just speech. He was giving them a reference point for life. In this world, there are things that are deceptive and misleading and unreal and illusionary. And you have to be able to tell the difference between the real and the counterfeit. You know how they teach tellers how to tell the difference between real and counterfeit money? They give them a stack full of counterfeit dollar bills and they say, feel that, now feel this. No. They just give them real money to deal with. And the longer they deal with real money, the more they feel real money. When something untrue comes in, they immediately pick it up. You don't, you don't get smart in life, and you don't advance in life. Say, well, you know what? It doesn't hurt to dabble in it. It doesn't hurt to kind of play around the edges of it. It doesn't hurt. I mean, you know, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. Yeah, that's the culture that we live in. You know, and so we have learned how to justify certain things. But what we need to do in a, in, a, in a culture and in a world in 2014 is that we need to be handling truth more than we handle anything else. 
Handle this. Read this. Study this. Get it down inside of us. Because that still matters. It still makes a difference in peace and joy and happiness. Life presents to us on a daily basis choices that are true and false. And we encounter them every day. What is true, God said, still matters. And it must matter to you. There's no such thing as a white lie. There's no such thing as a, well, I just kind of fudged a little bit. Oh, yes. All of it, Brother Hughes. We want all of it. Embracing, listen to me, embracing truth requires that you reject error. You can't have both of them. How can a fountain give forth both bitter and sweet water? It's impossible. You can't play with falseness and still love truth. When you embrace truth, you let go of that which is untrue. We cannot afford to become disconnected from the truth. And that's what our culture is trying to do to us right now. Our world, our, the media, television, magazines, the news, everything in our culture is trying to desensitize us to truth and tell us that truth is relative. There is no such thing as absolute truth. And so they're trying to disconnect us from that so that we have no moorings. But Paul said, I want to tell you something that matters now. It's going to matter 10 years from now. It's going to matter 100 years from now. It's going to matter 2,000 years from now. And that is truth. Don't ever disconnect your life from truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. God is the author of truth and the devil is the father of lies. What you believe indicate who rules in your life. Amen. Everybody say truth. It still matters. It matters that I know the truth. Everybody say it matters that I know the truth. It matters that I speak the truth. It matters that I live the truth. Everybody say it matters. Amen. I can tell you're about to jump up and shout. Somebody's going to run the aisle here in a minute. Number two. Paul said, you need to embrace honest things. Whatsoever is honest. Everybody say honest. The word in the Greek means to reverend or to show something worthy. There are many things that are not worth your effort. They are not worth the price you have to pay to have them. The Greek word used is characteristically used of the gods and the temple of the gods. It was actually a Greek word that Paul used to get... And, and make a spiritual principle and point. And it was in reference to things that were connected to God. And so it came to be known in reference to man. And it describes a man who is, as it has been said, he moves in the world 
as if he were the temple of God. He's honest. He moves in the world as if he were the temple of God. Amen. You know, when you make that your reference point, there's a lot of battles you don't have to fight. There's a lot of things you don't have to ask, is this okay? Can I do this and God be all all right with it? When you understand that you are the temple of God, it sets the parameters for your life. You don't have to go back and wonder or debate. It sets the limit. And Paul said, honesty will never go out of style. You've got to embrace the honest things. Amen. Respect what is right. Amen. Somebody say honest. That's what I want to be is honest. The third thing, and I'm going to close here in a moment. I'm not even going to get finished tonight. But the third thing was he said, I want you to embrace just things. Everybody say just. This describes the man who gives to God and to man his dues. He is fair. Everybody say fair. He doesn't weigh life with unequal weights. Anybody know about unequal weights? That's an Old Testament principle. God said it was an abomination for anybody to use unequal weights. And by that he meant that when Brother J.D. comes to me, I weigh things out with a certain measurement, but when Sister Faye comes to me, I use a complete different set for the same thing. That's an unequal weight. And Paul said it is important in a world that has lost its value for what is decent and right and moral and good and wholesome, that you be able to maintain a reverence for just things, that you are fair, that you don't have two different game plans, and you don't live two different lifestyles. You don't come to church and put on one act and then go home and live another act. But what you are here, you are there. And what you are there, you are here. That is how God wants me to live. He wants me to live justly. Amen. Amen. The Christian thoughts are on his responsibility to God and men. We have to maintain a sense of justice and follow that which is just and not pervert justice. Amen. Justice in that, in that reference is not speaking about judgment as, as it is speaking about the discerning of that which should be done. What is the right thing for me to do? And the right thing for me to do many times is to say, I'm sorry. You know what I've discovered? We want people to get over things that really we need to go back and make right and then they can get over them. Amen. Everybody say things that are just. I know this is what you came for tonight. I can tell. Amen. Whatsoever things are just... He said, this is another thing you've got to embrace. Purity. Everybody say purity. Purity. Things which are morally undefiled. That which has been so cleansed 
that it can be brought into the presence of God and used in His service. Purity. The world is full of things that are sordid and shabby and soiled and smutty. And many a person gets their mind set in a state or a rut or a habit or a groove or a channel that soils every thought that they think. Paul said you've got to embrace the pure. Things that are pure still matter to God. I don't care if the world says it's okay for people to shack up. That's what I call it. That's what I grew up. They live together now. But it's, it's okay. You, you don't have to get married. You, you, you don't have to embrace the cultures, the morals. You can have sex before marriage. It's no big. That, that's so antiquated. That's so old. I don't care what the world says about that. If you read what the Word of God said, there are parameters in which all of that can be done. And when you do it within the parameters God set, you can enjoy the blessings that come from that. But you cannot ignore that and expect God to bless. And our culture is is dumbing life down to such a low level. Amen. And God said, I want you to embrace that which is pure. Thoughts that are so clean that they can stand even the scrutiny of God. I think you understand we live in a cesspool of unclean things. The sources of such are too plentiful for me to mention. But here's what you need to do. Ask yourself, would Jesus approve of this? You see, impurity stifles potential. And it still matters to God. It does matter. Everybody say it does matter. Whatsoever things are lovely. Everybody say lovely. I love this word, lovely. It means attractive or winsome, that which calls forth love. There are those whose minds are so set on vengeance or revenge or punishment or payback that they call forth bitterness and fear in others. There are those whose minds are so set on criticism and rebuke that they call forth resentment in others. The mind of the Christian should be set on kindness, sympathy, forbearance, long-suffering, love, patience, goodness, kindness. Things that produce peace and not turmoil. Things that produce rest, not strife. You know the difference between a good relationship and a bad relationship? Or a few words that are not said every day. Amen. Everybody say lovely. The things that are attractive. Letting our vocabulary become saturated in things that build up. Anything that produces strife should be avoided. Are you looking for faults or are you looking for faith? Are you looking for hypocrisy or are you looking for holiness? Focus on things that unify the body rather than divide the body. Are you part of a faction or are you part of the action? When you're busy rowing the boat, you don't have time to rock it. Amen. Praise God. 
Are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Amen. And then Paul said, you need to embrace a good report. That the word in the Greek means a word that suggests graciousness. It speaks of a high tone, fair speaking way of living. Whatever has a good name, that's what you want to talk about. It has been connected to the holy silence. This word was connected to the holy silence at the beginning of a sacrifice in the presence of the gods. The things which are fit for God to hear. There are far too many ugly words and false words and impure words. And Paul said, why don't you fill your mind with good report? A good report makes the bones fat. Amen. We are all reporters in this room tonight. All of us are commergent, what have they said, commergents at large. All of us are reporters. The question is, what kind of reporter am I? And what am I reporting on? You know, I used, I don't remember, I think his name was Wayne Dolcefino. He's a newscaster. I don't have any axe to grind, but he used to get under my skin. He's the most arrogant, cocky, in-your-face guy, but he loved to dig up dirt. That's all he looked for was dirt. Dirt, 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 dirt. And he found a lot of it. Hey, folks, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Go outside. This thing's, we're sitting on dirt right now. There's dirt everywhere. But I don't get up in the morning and say, my Lord, look at all this dirt. I walk outside and I see the green grass. Thank you, God, for green grass. I see shrubs that are growing in that dirt, and I say, thank you, God, for shrubs. I see a big old oak tree in the front yard that covers and shades my front yard, and I don't say, oh, my Lord, i got dirt in my yard. I say, thank God I've got a tree in my yard. Thank God there's flowers and roses in the backyard. Thank God that there's sweetness and there's birds and there's flowers. And what I, My point is this. If you want to go around digging up the dirt, and reporting on the dirt, you're always going to have plenty to report on. But I assure you this. People aren't going to remember you for what you want them to remember you for. I want people to remember me as a man who had a good report. I, I, I would hate, 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 I would hate. Did you get that? I would hate. If my number was the number one number that people call when they want to find out the gossip of the church, or my Facebook page was the one everybody wanted to go to, Oh, yeah, I'm going to get down to where we live. I would hate to think that people were attracted to me not because they love me, but because they want to find out what I know. Amen. I've made a lot of folks mad in my lifetime, and that's one area where I've made them the maddest. 
I don't want to be a garbage collector. I don't want your garbage, and I don't want to have to be a collector. of. I, I don't want you dumping garbage on me. Tell me something good. I know that there's bad in the world. I know that there's sin in the world. I know there's bad people everywhere around us. I understand that. But I also know that there's some awfully good people in this church. And I know that there are some faithful people. I was thinking about some of them a little while ago. I was thinking about the elders of our church and how desperately we need some young people, young couples to step up and say, Hey, would you teach me what it is that you've learned in living for God so that I can take your place and I can become the kind of contributor to the church that you've been all of your life? I thought about my father-in-law 50 years as a board member and an usher at Life Tabernacle. I wonder, is there any young man in our church that would step up to Brother Harvey Vickery and say, Brother Vickery, would you teach me whatever you have learned over these 50 years of serving God because Because when you're gone, I want to be able to step into your place and I want the church to keep going just like it was flourishing when you were here. And it's not going to happen when all that people do is find what's wrong with the church. Everybody say a good report. Say, I am a reporter. I am a reporter. What am I reporting? Amen. Let's stand. You're about to tire out on me.